0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. There's something backwards about following Jesus. Jesus is turning the whole world upside down. Even this Advent season, Jesus enters the world as a baby. The Savior is a baby. That's something weird about that. There's something uh, unusual about that. And I hope that it makes us question everything about how we're doing our lives. Jesus is inaugurating a new reality. And sometimes it goes against our basic instinct. I told someone this week that one of my biggest growth edges, that's a fun way to say weakness, like where I want to grow, was was humility, growing in humility. I was uh, remarking about something, some, some pundit or a theologian's smugness. I think that's a qualification for uh, those, those types of jobs and how overconfident they were in making declarative statements with facts and logic. Um, and it was so transparently insecure, I couldn't help myself. And I just said, will you line up a little bit? Will you, can you qualify the statements? Can you um, offer us some idea that you might not be so certain about how the world is working? You know, I pity them in a sense, because, you know, smugness, overconfidence, absolute certainty sells books, right? It gets clicks. It uh, expands your followers. And because and, and people love that language that offers certainty. And I think that if you're not so secure... You need to speak your viewpoints like they're objective truth. Um, So I was remarking about this and saying they need to be more humble, but you know what, so do I. Um, Our society breeds these kind of folks, and the market selects for them. So qualifying our statements goes a long way towards humility, Um, as well as the self-awareness to know that some of our deeply held convictions are the results of our personal experiences. And so how we see the world, what we think is true, quite often, is the result of what it, what, what, how our lives have, have worked up until this point. And I think we live in a time that's polarized. Understanding that is helpful in reconciling. So humility is a big growth edge for me. And that's where I'm feeling convicted. And I know it is because I don't like it. I, uh, I like pie a lot. But the, the worst pie is... Uh, did, you ever, did you ever hear of humble pie? Right? I'm always eating my humble pie. At least it feels like that to me. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. But humility... I come from an honor-shame culture. And I'm realizing this more and more. It's still like a part of me. Um, my parents grew up in, the, in, in Egypt. And I grew up in central PA, but kind of in an Egypt-style place. Um, just my house. And humility in that, in that environment means not being honored even though you did the right thing. Right? That lack of uh, acknowledgement, that lack of uh, honor, despite working, despite doing something good, right, correctly, whatever. That acknowledgement, that's a big part of my, uh, what's happening inside of me. Um, This week I got into a a spiral of shame. And I couldn't get out of it. I couldn't, no matter what i tried, I couldn't get out of this shameful feeling. You know, I made a decision earlier in the day to try to help someone out, cover a mistake they made. And the mistake was the result of something that we had planned, but it didn't go exactly right. something I had planned, but it didn't go in the direction I thought it might. And so I helped to make it work and, and, hel- and helped the person you know, save their face a little bit. And I, was, I had this sense of offense about it because I wasn't mad that we didn't go with the plan. I was more mad that like, my plan wasn't good enough to go with. That's, that's kind of how I, that's how my head worked. That's where I was in my head and heart. So I just thought, well, if they respected me, if they honored me, they wouldn't have done that. And so as a result, I'm not externally mad. I'm internally mad at myself. Because I, I didn't, um, I didn't, I didn't do the right thing to collect the honor that I thought that I needed, and so I felt disappointed in myself. Does that make sense? So, it's, uh, and 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 then the worst part about it was I felt ashamed because I felt because of my negative feeling. I felt ashamed because I was hurt. I felt like I shouldn't feel that way. Um, I couldn't give myself permission to feel the pain because I thought I should take the humility in stride, right? I was the, I was the, so now, now we're in like a double shame moment. Not only were you not honorable enough to be listened to, you're not even honorable enough to not be hurt right now. So this is, this is all backwards, right? I should be okay at kind of bearing my cross. And part of that meant not feeling... Not feeling bad, not feeling sad, not feeling angry, not feeling upset with myself. Here's a word to the wise. Feeling dumb about feeling ashamed is a really bad cycle. And it's really hard to get out of that, you know, because not only am I ashamed, I should have I sh- I I known better, and now I should know better to not feel this way. And it's really, you know, it, there was like a, an hour, maybe just for a few hours, I was feeling this way, but it felt like an eternity. You know, I felt ashamed because I felt hurt. Humility is important to our work as Christians, though. You know, and, and I think being welcomed by Jesus necessarily uh, humbles us. Being welcomed by this baby, Jesus entering the world so humbly. I think the humility is the key to, um, to even more welcome. But it's just not easy to do it. It's so much easier to feel the shame instead. You know, I'm working on it. And I'm working on, uh, you know, being okay, being humble, because I'm bonded with the, uh, with the one that saved the world with his humility. And I think that's how I see John the Baptist. Maybe you say John the Baptizer, Um, because Baptist means something now that it didn't then. So you might wanna, you might feel like you're assigning him a denomination if you say John the Baptist. Maybe, maybe I'm just thinking like that. So we say John the Baptizer. Ever hear that before? John the Southern Baptist. You know, you, (laughs) you, you could just, you could just go there. He's a guy who's been transformed by God inside and out. Strange, very strange person. And he's uh, welcoming his strange cousin or some sort of relative Jesus into the world, making a way for Jesus. That's what we were singing about earlier. Here's how uh, Matthew introduces John to us. Someone out loud, read Matthew 3, 1 through 6. Can you see it? Hey, come on. You got to read it out loud. When you think about a first century biography, which we're approaching here with John, you don't always hear about the, uh, the person's appearance or their diet unless it's noteworthy. Something weird is happening here. This isn't exactly normal. He comes from uh, right at the outset of the gospel. We hear about what he dresses like, where he's from. He's apparently strange for those reasons. He contrasts with the culture. He looks like he comes from another world, um, and apparently does come from another one. His garb, his location, tell us he's maybe a revolutionary of sorts, this prophetic person. He's ready to change the world. Comes from a strange place, eats strange food, dresses in strange ways. He relates then to a strange God. Or at least changed by our standards, right? The very oddness of his appearance moves us to wonder, what, what exactly is right side up? What's upside down? Lives in the wilderness. The wilderness in the Bible is contrasted with the city. This is a big theme. A lot of things happen right on the edge. The, uh, the Jordan divides the wilderness in the, in, the, in the urban center. That's where he's doing the baptisms. The wilderness is a typical place for the prophet, but also typical for someone who's escaping a hostile world. And even John's message to his recipients was safer in the wilderness, safer for groups to gather away from all the authorities. And what he eats and what he drinks is like prophets do, also like poor people. There's something that's happening there. He's a radical follower of God. What makes him radical is his agreement to serve God, not what he wears or what he eats or where he lives particularly. I think that's an important idea to think about, that his appearance, his diet, his location is a result of his commitment to God. It isn't what commits him to God. Does that make sense? So You don't have to eat locusts if to, to follow God. Although following God might move you to do that for some reason. You know, you might change something about you after, after you've received this. Um, he's radical because of what God has done in him. Um, not because of what he wears or what he eats or what he thinks. Even what he thinks. He moves to call people to change their hearts. Repentance is not just a change of mind, though. Um, Really, a change of posture altogether. It's a turning, turning toward God. Or maybe a returning to God, a returning to home, a, a, a return from a strange place to the comparatively stranger place that's actually our home. A return to the Maker. John's uh, Repentance isn't singular. It's once and for all. It's transformative. It doesn't just sprinkle Jesus into your life, sprinkle God into your life. It doesn't just augment your life. It changes everything about you. And no part of you goes unchanged when you repent and when you change. That's really hard to do. That's, what I'm ta- that's why we started with it, turning the whole world upside down. Every single assumption we have is changing because of our commitment to Jesus. Jesus. He's moving the whole world to repent as they make this way for the Lord. And the baptism of John, the, um, the, 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 the baptism that, John's, that John does, this ceremonial washing, um, similar to what the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, went through as they entered the uh, community, is now something that every believer is doing. All people are undergoing this. Um, it's unlikely that the Jewish people would admit non-Jewish people into the covenant without a ritual cleaning. And now he's calling people to consider how they've strayed from their maker and how to return. No one is without blemish. We're all, we're all going to repent. So then the story keeps going in chapter 3 and the religious rulers show up. Somebody else... Somebody else read verses uh, 7 to 12 here. He saw several Pharisees and Sadducees coming to be baptized by him. You brood of vipers, he said to them, who warned you to escape from the coming wrath. You'd better prove your repentance by bearing the right sort of fruit, and you needn't start thinking to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Let me tell you, God is quite capable of raising up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already taking aim at the root of the tree. Every tree that doesn't produce fish fruit is to be cut down and burned into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance, John continued, but the one who is coming behind me is more powerful than me. I am not even worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's got his shovel in his hand ready to clear out his barn and gather all his coin into the granary. But he'll burn up the chaff of a fire that will never go out. This this ceremonial washing, thanks Kristen, John is allowing um, both Jewish people and non-Jewish people to enter into communion with God. He's providing an option for all sorts of people to be transformed and find their new self in God. John probably comes from a Separatist community. Um, sometimes we call them the Essenes. Uh, they're radical disciples who lived in the wilderness, distanced themselves from uh, the pollution of urban life. You ever hear of the Dead Sea Scrolls? This community probably wrote those, right? That's what we think. Um, th- th- this th- or or uh, they wrote the manuscripts. This out-of-the-world strangeness is the result of the transformation that's happening. And now he's extending that to everyone. We all have a chance in baptism to find new life in God. But then these religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, show up to be baptized too. And in his most aggressive language, he calls them a brood of vipers. These people uh, come to him entitled to being welcomed, entitled to being inclusive without the humble posture that we're talking about. They actually think because of who they are, because of what they dress like and what they eat, they should be welcomed into the community. This is a complete contrast to John. John tells them they need to, you need, they need to bear the right fruit of repentance. That their, that, that, that their cultural connection to the God with Abraham isn't good enough. And later on in Matthew, Matthew 21 Jesus will curse a fig tree that doesn't bear fruit, kind of symbolically in the same spirit as this. No, you'd never produce the fruit. And so now you're cursed because you did it. You just you, you appeared to be in season, but you didn't make any fruit. You just looked like you did the right thing, like you, you dressed the part. But there was no authentic production of fruit, no a fruit of repentance. So it's not good enough to just say, to, to just be baptized without a tangible result. That's some pressure. I hope that you don't feel like you won't be uh, redeemed and included if you don't produce the right fruit. Unfortunately, if you're having that question, you're probably on the right track. This is for people that don't even ask themselves that. That's the, that's the idea that we're working with. The New Testament's filled with this idea that Jewish heritage alone cannot be leaned upon to be saved. And quite frankly, the Old Testament's full of that too, if you ask me. The Jewish leaders receive a very strong rebuke because they appear to entitle themselves to a home in Jesus just by virtue of their background. It's a very unusual shift because they were a, pow- a previously powerless group of people. Like Israel was in the Old Testament, and they became entitled to a gift that was freely offered to them, deserving of it. That kind of power, that kind of um, what what you can turn a blessing into can be dangerous. John is bringing the transformation of baptism, the baptism of water, to the people around him, but he's humble enough to know, no, that's not. I'm not the end of the story. He thinks of himself and his baptism as much less significant compared to the one, the one who is coming behind him. John is ushering in Jesus, who will bring about a whole new era for the whole world. John isn't even fit to perform the uh, servant's duty for Jesus, John is the forerunner of that revelation is the rest of the chapter. Someone else. And Jesus arrived at the Jordan from Galilee. He came to John to be baptized by him. John tried to stop him. I have to be baptized by you, he said. Are you going to come to me? This is how it's got to be right now, said so Jesus. This is the right way for us to complete God's whole saving plan. So John consented, and Jesus was baptized. All at once, as he came out of the water, suddenly the heavens were opened and he saw God's spirit coming down like a dove and landing on him. Then there came a voice out of the heavens. This is my son, my beloved one." said the voice. I am delighted with him." Can you see the uh, out-honoring of one another that's happening? The, uh, the continued humility? John says, somebody greater than me is coming behind me. And then when Jesus comes, Jesus humbles himself too, right? There's something happening in the kingdom of God where really the last is first and the first is last. This, this, is, this is the beginning of the whole story. This is Matthew 3. We haven't even, you know, we had a, a genealogy and the birth of Jesus and now this. This is right into it. And then he'll be tempted in a moment. In this honor and shame society of first century Palestine and really the entire Mediterranean region, apparently forever, you know, because I'm still living in it too, um, Jesus humbles himself and gets rid of his rightful honor to follow in God's plan and fit with this humility that John calls for among Jewish leaders, what he asks the Jewish leaders to do earlier in the chapter, Jesus humbles himself to John's baptism. Doesn't take up the honorable position that he might even deserve. John recognizes Jesus' stature, Jesus' superiority, and then Jesus makes an act of humility even more powerful because he's deserving of a greater honor, but he still goes with God's plan. What does it say up here? Um, God's whole saving plan? You'll also see uh, he's fulfilling all righteousness would be a common way to put that. The Lord of all, the Son of Man, God with us, is being baptized by this mere mortal, humbling himself once again to relate to us. And this is hardly how we imagine God to be. There's a sort of a shame and embarrassment to the upside-down way of doing things. And that's an important idea if you're ever wondering how the Jesus movement got going. There's a lot of shame in the story. It doesn't really fit into the culture. Something is wrong. Baby... Gets baptized by a mortal and then dies by the end of it. The movement, it's not really picking up steam here. And it the opposite seems to be happening. There's a sort of shame and embarrassment to that. Who is this mysterious man? One who is greater than John? One who is unfit to untie? Uh, uh, one who John is unfit to untie his sandals, yet who insists on being baptized by John? What kind of world? Is he bringing in? In his humble submission to John's baptism, he continues John's humble approach to life. That's the theme in this chapter, in the Gospels, in the life of John the Baptist, and in the life of Jesus, too. Jesus bears the fruit of humility. He bears the fruit of repentance, if you will. The whole world is changing, and Jesus is bringing that change. What is... What does Jesus do to then get this approval? This approval from God humbles himself not only to be baptized by John, but by becoming human at all. He uh, condescends himself to relate to us. And as a result, receives a blessing from God, approval from God, honor from God. God delights in him. As God delights him, And you, there's nothing you need to do to take the gift. It's hard to believe that. And I I barely do as I'm telling you. I have to tell myself this every day. Take the gift. It's free. You know, I I don't have a lot of experience with uh, father figures delighting in me. And I still... I can guess the gift. No, it's not. I know. I know technically it's right, you know, and I can talk. I can use big words to describe it too. Um, but it's so it's hard to internalize that, <laughs> and I, it's hard to believe. No, I do have a father who delights in me. God is with me, and God is with us too. I hope that we can humble ourselves to receive this, and not let our piety. Our holiness get in the way. May we all humble ourselves as we receive this freely given grace from Jesus. Use this wonderful gift to bear the fruit of change and repentance. Remind yourself today that there's nothing special that you need to do or to be to receive the gift. It's freely given. It's abundantly given. You know, and you only have uh, to boast in Jesus for that. As we welcome each other in this Advent season, I hope we're humble enough to listen to each other, to know each other, to connect. Receive your commission from God. Be welcomed into the fold. This gift that's freely given to you. And the fruit of your acceptance is this life altering humility. Life is complicated, grace is free take it. You're not entitled to it because of your upbringing, because of your background, because of your skin color, because of your gender. It's free. And it's changing the whole world. Freely accepted. And then freely give it away. You don't have to hold on to it. You don't have to hold on to the honor that you receive. You can give that away. Freely. Welcome someone in as they are. And let the the, the humble exclusion, the humble extension of the table. Uh, may that lead to transformation. Let's say a prayer and do some talk back shall we? Ooh, this week's poll question. I didn't know there was a slide there, so now you have this. Thank you, Lord, for being here, for being uh, faithful to us and present. May we keep receiving this gift, this freely given gift, and, and, and may it transform us as we include other people. May we keep... Um, out honoring each other in our humble posture. And in seasons where it's hard, make it, make it a little easier. Show us how to, uh, how to selfie face through you. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.